If you have your Bibles, and I really hope you do, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. We'll be in chapter 6 today, really hammering in on the verses 25 through 34. There are a lot of things, not only in the Bible, but also in culture that are considered taboo to talk about. One of the things that has often bothered me is, of course, the topic of sex, because a lot of people say, well, the church shouldn't be talking about sex. Well, the world heard the church's silence on God's gift of sex and has perverted it into something that it's not. But another thing is taking, care, taking place with another subject that a lot of people thinks taboo and shouldn't be talked about in the church. And it's talking about mental health. When we hear things like psychology, psychiatry, we think that those are things of the world and you know that the church should have no part in it. And I'm just gonna say a couple of things that I want to really make clear. I know a lot of people who have to have medications for certain things. I know of one pastor's wife, sweet, kind lady of the Lord, does everything in her heart to serve her husband faithfully and serve the church that her husband pastors over faithfully, who has dealt with depression and anxiety to a point that it becomes overwhelming. While I've never had to experience that, I know that there are realities in our life, chemical imbalances in our brain, medical things that we don't understand that do take place in our life that causes us to lose control. Over the last couple of months, me and a good friend of mine, we've been reading a book called The End of Anxiety. And I spoke about this not too long ago. And the book's called A Biblical Prescription for Overcoming Fear, worry, and panic. But what I love most about the author's opening words is it's a disclaimer. He point blank says that this book is not gonna cause all anxiety to go away. This book is not gonna cause all fear to go away. This book is not gonna cause all panic to go away. The purpose of this book is to do just this, to help you find strength when fear, worry, and panic set in. See, that's the thing that I think we miss when it becomes to the point of being a believer. When we think about being a believer, we think that everything is going to be great. Everything is going to be peaceful and everything is going to be smooth with our lives. But that is not the reality. Matter of fact, in John chapter 16, verse 33, the last part of this scripture, this is what Jesus says. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay. Jesus is telling us point blank in this world, we're going to have difficulties. We're going to have troubles in our life. We're going to have troubles in our thoughts. We're going to have troubles in our, in our fear and anxieties and even our panic. But he says to them, he says to him these words, but Take heart, I have overcome this world. 
And what Jesus is trying to tell his disciples when he is speaking these last words to them before he goes to the cross is that, yes, you are going to experience all kinds of anxiety. You're going to experience all kinds of fear. You're going to experience all kinds of panic in this world. It's going to happen. But take courage because I am overcoming this world. And not only that, in me is the power to overcome all of these things. In the last couple of years, I've noticed anxiety, and I know y'all have too. Anxiety seems like it has gone through the roof. And, you know, when I think back to being a kid, I don't remember anxiety, depression, and all these things being as prominent as they are now. And maybe I was just naive as a kid. And everybody says, well, you didn't know. No, I knew my mom was struggling to get by paycheck to paycheck to put food on the table. That is why I hate spaghetti. (laughs) Spaghetti was a cheap meal. You know what I'm talking about? It was a cheap meal, so it was easy to put on the table. I know the struggles that my mom went through to do that. I know because I seen her sitting there trying to figure out how she was going to rub two nickels together to get something taken care of. But what I also noticed in my mom was a faithfulness. A faithfulness not just to her children, but a faithfulness to the God who created her, who sustained her, and who carried her through all this. So I started wondering, Am I the only one that's noticed that anxiety has become so prominent? And of course, I do like all pastors do. We Google it. We Google it to see what other people say about it. And what I found was kind of alarming. Because there was a study done back in the early 2000s. 2002, actually, to be quite frank. Was done in 2002 to talk about the effects of anxiety in that time. But in 2022... Another group of Harvard psychologists, Harvard psychiatrists, and all these other people who are so smart, it's not even funny, got together because they were noticing the same thing. And some of the statistics that they pulled, they pulled from the census that had just been done during all the pandemic And I want you to listen to some of the statistics that are based off the census. Now get this, the census is taken by the people or given by the people. And there was a part in the census, and I remember when the guy come and talked to us at our home and stayed eight feet away from us, and I think he even sprayed me down with Lysol once or twice, because it was during all the pandemic. But I remember some of these questions that he asked us. And one of those questions was pertaining to the Household Pulse Survey. And the Household Pulse Survey has some very specific questions. One of those questions was, do you or anybody in your household suffer from an anxiety disorder? And while I didn't, you know, think about, I mean, I know I've got disorders. Jennifer knows I've got disorders. A lot of them. I didn't really think anxiety was one of them. But 40 million people, 40 million people reported anxiety disorders in their household. Let me, let me put this in perspective for you. 
One in five people, one in five people suffer from some sort of anxiety disorder. And I thought, man, that's a lot. That's 20% of our nation. But then he goes on to report that even though some don't identify as having anxiety disorders, 32.3% reported that they showed symptoms of anxiety and depression. One third of our nation shows signs of anxiety and depression. 4% of the world shows signs of anxiety and depression. But with the United States, it's 32%. Hmm, kind of makes you scratch your head. But the next one was even more alarming for me. Because 49% of these 40 million people who identified that they or somebody in their family had a disorder, anxiety disorder, were between the ages of 18 and 24. So all these guys started looking back at all this data. And they started trying to put their thumb on what it was that brought about all this anxiety. And what was crazy is they started seeing a drastic uptick of anxiety and even mental health issues in the United States about 2008. The first thing they thought of was this was the time about that meth, crank, methamphetamine was taking hold of the nation. But at the same time, there were fewer people affected by that than could have attributed to these rising numbers. Then they thought about the housing market crash. Could that have been the part that brought about all this anxiety? But again, the number of people who were affected by the housing market crash did not really result to the number of increase in anxiety. So the only other thing and I am not pointing a finger at this. The only other thing that was brought to their attention that took place in 2007, 2008, and 2009 was the rise of the smartphone. Because at that point, our world was able to access information at their fingertips, wherever they are, at a rate that they've never been able to do before. One of the scientists, one of the psychologists, even quoted saying that our human brains were never meant to conceive this much information. And because of this amount of information, it has caused our brains to go in overload, dumping dopamine like never before, and causing our dopamine receptors to burn out. And I was just like, wow, that's amazing. That is amazing that they can bring back all of that to this. But what amazes me even more is that the church doesn't really bring it back to this when it comes to mental health. Because Jesus speaks about it very clearly in the first sermon that is recorded that he, first sermon recorded, not the first sermon he gave, but first sermon recorded of his. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter six, verse 25. For this reason I say to you, 
Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for, <clears throat> nor for your body as to what you, will pull, <clears throat> what, will, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow and they do not reap nor gather into barns, and yet your Father, your heavenly Father, feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? He goes on to say this, And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothed the grasses of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will, not, will he not much more clothe you? You of little faith. Underline that because we will come back to that. Do not worry then saying, what will I eat or what will I drink or what will I wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, and I know it's not just the older that I get, it's the more in tune I get with you, that I am so thankful to be able to have this love letter that you've written to us in our, my hand right now. I'm thankful, Lord, that this Bible, these 66 books that you put together give evidence, advice, and direction for everything that we can go through. But Father, I'm even more thankful that in these words, you show us how much you love us and how much you continue to care for us and how much you will continue to do so. But Father, as we take a few moments just to talk about what it is that you're dealing with in these scriptures, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind to understand what it is that this word has for us specifically today. But not only, Lord, just for today, but how we can apply this word to our life tomorrow so that we can continue to make disciples that make disciples. Father, thank you for being such a good father. Now, speak to us through your word for your glory and your purpose. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
To say that the Bible is silent about anxiety, depression, or any of these things by this scripture is an absolute lie. The Bible dives deep into these things. And a lot of people will look at this and say, well, yeah, it's diving deep in it, but it's hitting surface level stuff. Matter of fact, when I was talking to the youth about this a long time ago, way long ago, for those who don't know, I'm a recovering youth minister. I'm still in treatment. I'm still trying to get through it. But at the same time, as I was talking to the youth one day about this subject, um, one of them, I'm not going to name him because y'all know who he is, said, Scotty, I get what you're saying. But I want you to look at what Jesus is talking about here. And I'm sitting there scratching my head. What do you mean? He said, Jesus is dealing with food. Jesus is dealing with shelter. Jesus is dealing with clothing. Jesus isn't dealing with the real life stuff that we're, we go through. And I'm sitting there thinking, part of him's wrong, but part of him's right. Part of him's wrong. Part of him is wrong in the aspect that he is talking about some serious issues. He's talking about food. You know, you can go 40 days without food. After 40 days, your body starts to digest itself, and it is a very ugly process. He's talking about shelter or clothing. Sure, shelter and clothing is not necessarily something that we worry about all the time, but do you know that a body at 50 degrees temperature can go into hypothermia in less than 20 minutes, and a person who goes into hyperthermia can die within an hour? That's clothing too. That's a part of the shelter too. Well, what about water? We never have to worry about water, but at the same time, three days with no water and our kidneys and liver start to shut down. And while he's wrong in saying that these aren't important things to us, we've got to realize this. These are important things to our bodies. What he's addressing here, what Jesus is addressing here is the difference between a necessity and a want. You see, there is a big problem, not only in the younger generation's minds, but also in us older people's minds as well. Because a lot of times we get mixed up the difference between a necessity and a want. You know what I mean? A necessity is having food, rice and beans. A want is filet mignon, cooked medium, Anything over is a sin. It's discrimination. It's wrong. That's the difference. A shelter. A need is a sleeping bag and a baby sack to survive. A want is a 500 square foot mansion that has so many rooms that you don't even get to visit them all in a year. The older you get, you realize that's just a lot of things to claim and you don't want that. But those are the differences that we're talking about here. But when I started thinking about what that young man said in you so long ago, he's not wrong because most of us 
have not really experienced starvation. And I'm not saying you haven't gone hungry. I'm saying you haven't experienced starvation. And I know some of you lived in a different time. But at the same time, was there food on the table? Yeah. I remember hearing my mom talk about it all the time. You ought to like that spaghetti because you don't know what I had to eat. (laughs) She's right. She's absolutely right. Because there was food on the table. So to know what it's like to go completely without food, I don't know. And I'll be on, and if you're honest with yourself, most of you don't either. To go without shelter. Yeah, we didn't always have the greatest luxuries to live in. Growing up, I remember we lived in a trailer. And, you know, a lot of people want to say, well, that's just whatever. You know what? It's a home. It's a home to somebody. And I loved my time in that. I got so many stitches in that trailer. It's not even funny. I busted my head wide open. That's why, I don't, that's why I'm nervous about shaving my head. I know I'm losing my hair, guys. But I'm nervous about shaving my head because there's going to be a road map all over my head from all the stitches. But the, I love the memories of being at that trailer. It was home. Yeah, it's not the home that I live in today, but you know what? It kept me warm. It kept me dry. And not only that, it was a place where I knew I was loved. Well, it may not have been the best shelter. It was still a shelter. And you know what? I don't know what it's like to be without a shelter. Clothes. That's another whole argument in itself. Clothes, I don't, I don't get it. We talked about fashion a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. How many of you over the age of 40 have went and bought your Doc Martens yet? Come on, people, help me out here. We're going to change fashion real quick. But fashion is one of those things that I struggled with when I was younger. You know what I mean? You had the clothes that everybody else wore, and then you had the clothes that you wore. And, you know, I wasn't always privy to all the fashion trends. I remember I hated when mom would put patches on my knees because I just wanted them to be holy. I wanted them to be Sunday britches. And there was times that I was embarrassed by it. But at the same time, I can say this. I don't know what it's like to do without clothes. And if you're honest, you don't either. When Jesus is talking about these things, he's talking about some deep things, guys. He's talking about the necessities of your life. He's talking about you worrying about food. You need food. He's talking about you worrying about shelter. You need shelter. He's talking about you worrying about clothes. You need clothes. But these things are necessary for life to sustain. Which brought me to this question. Then if all these things we have access to, what do we really have to worry about? Think about that for a minute. What do we have to really worry about? And I want you to hear me out. I know what it's like to live paycheck to paycheck. I know what it's like to live in a time to where you're hoping one check doesn't go to the mail before your check goes to the bank. I understand living in that dynamic. But I don't understand 
the fullness of anxiety that he's talking about here. Because the anxiety that Jesus is dealing with here is greater than what we deal with today. I'm not minimizing our anxiety, but at the same time, we can't maximize it either. Notice what he says right there in verse 27. I want to go back and I want to pop into a couple of places and I really want to talk about this. And who of you being worried can add a single hour to his life? So I would not classify myself as a person with anxiety heavy, but I would classify myself as a warrior. You get what I'm saying? I worry a lot. I worry about my boys. I worry about the world that they're going to grow up in. I worry about my wife. I worry about health problems that could come about. I worry about the church. I worry about you as individuals and all the things that you are going through with. But at the same time, do we really understand what worry does for us? Notice what he said there. He said, who of you can worry can be worrying about this and add a single hour uh, to your life. That's not the way it goes. Our worry doesn't add nothing to our life. On the contrary, our worry does the exact opposite. People who suffer from worry and anxiety experience heart disease at an alarming rate. People who deal with worry and anxiety deal with things like Alzheimer's and dementia at an alarming rate. People who deal with anxiety and worry issues experience all kinds of health concerns, diabetes, all these things. They relate back to a thing that we call stress. And a lot of people say, but Scotty, stress is different. No, it is not. Because at the root of stress is worry. And at the root of worry is anxiety. And at the root of all these is your mental well-being. Not a single one of us are worried about the food that we're going to put in our mouth right now, are we? No. Cupboards are full. Not a single one of us are really worried about the clothes that we're going to wear. Yeah, they may not be the clothes that we want to wear, but we've got them on. And not many of us are worried about our homes. Matter of fact, you can ask Brooke. Most people are worried about finding a home in the North Georgia mountains now that more than they're worried about losing their home. God has provided all of these things for us. So why don't we trust him to provide the rest? Because jump on down there a couple of verses. Our worry can do nothing for us. It can do nothing for us whatsoever. But if you will read there in verse 30, what he says, listen to it. Well, let me find it. But if God so clothes the grasses of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, Will he not much more clothe you? Read those next words for me real loud. One more time. One more time. You know, it amazes me. There's certain things, you're going to have to forgive me for a minute. 
there's certain things that we trust God for. You know what I mean? We were talking about it in Sunday school this morning. We trust God for our salvation, right? But a lot of things with our salvation is more about a destination than anything else. Am I wrong? I mean, most of it, as was portrayed to all of us, you know, who doesn't want to go to hell? I mean, who's going to raise their hand at that question? Or not going to raise their hand at that question? Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody wants to go to a place of fiery torment. Nobody wants to go to these, to, to even think about that. So why wouldn't we say, no, I don't want to go to hell. But a lot of times that is the main thing that we trust Jesus for is our salvation. But when we just trust Jesus for our salvation, we are limiting him to just one aspect of our life. How many of us are really trusting him to provide everything we need? Everything we need. Well, I've got the food covered, God. You don't worry about that. You are one illness away from not having that food covered. Well, God, I've got the clothing covered. Don't worry about that. You are one house fire away from not having that food cover, that clothing covered. Well, I've got the shelter. <laughs> you are one tornado away from that shelter being gone. And when it comes down to it, if you look at it, we put a lot more trust in ourselves to provide the things that we need than we trust in God to provide those things for us. And this is why anxiety creeps in so bad. Because every single one of us know that while God is unlimited, our abilities, our talents, and our resources are limited our anxiety has got to the point that it has got because we trust in ourselves for our provision more than we trust in God's provision and then we wonder how have I got to this point how have I got to where I'm at right now? And you know what? I don't want to minimize anxiety because I know family members who have anxiety attacks and it's nothing to play with. It is a serious issue when fear and panic comes into a person's life so hard that it paralyzes them but I also don't want to minimize the other side of it. Our faith in ourselves is the root problem of our anxiety. Look what he says going on. Because he says, for the Gentiles eagerly seek all of these things, all of these things, the clothing, the food, the homes, but seek, you, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. And you know, 
a lot of times we don't understand what God is really bringing about in this scripture until we get serious about really seeking his kingdom and not ours. Because you see, our resources, our abilities, and our talents are what we use to build up our kingdom. But Jesus has already told us that our kingdom has an end. Our kingdom on this earth has an end. Your house has an end. Your family has an end. This earth has an end. But his kingdom knows no end. And when I start thinking about this, I understand why we're so anxious. Because we know that everything that we're working for will be gone one day. I heard an interview the other day with one of the billionaires. And he is talking about his fortune after he goes from this place. Never said that he is a believer. And they asked him, they said, what is your biggest fear about this fortune that you have amassed? And without, a, without blinking an eye, he looks at the reporter and says, that my kids will it all away. And I'm just like, how true is that? Everything that he worked for in his life, billions, I'm talking close to a trillion dollars, everything that he's worked for, his main concern is that his kids are just gonna blow it all away. But you know what he realizes? He realizes that everything that he's built has an end. And this is why anxiety creeps in on all of us. So what does it mean to seek him first? And the best way I know how to tell you this is a story. And it's a story that goes about 16 years. Actually, it goes back further than 16 years. How old am I, Jennifer? It goes back 18 years. We're 56, 46, right? We're not 56, we're 46. <laughs> so about 18 years ago, I was a young man approaching 30 years old. And you know, as I looked around, a lot of things started to bother me. I noticed what all my friends had. Some of you have been there. I noticed that my friends had the houses. I noticed that my friends had the 2.2 kids, the dog, the cat, all of that. And you know what I noticed? I noticed that I was living at home with mama. Mm. That's enough to bring anxiety into anybody's life. For my mom, that is, not for me. She is a, she is a pleasure to live with. But at the same time, that really, that really bothered me. It bothered me that I was all alone. And, you know, I've dated a lot. Dated a lot of the wrong people. Um, dated one girl for 
10 years and it took her a long time to realize that I needed to be her husband. But, um, <laughs> but I had just started ministry, working with the youth. And I'm gonna be honest with you, it became a, it became a God to me to find a wife. It became such a God to me that I put it above ministering to the youth. And you know, real quick, I saw a drastic fall. And one night, I remember praying about this. And it was one of those red light moments that I talked about in Sunday school. Where God said, how are you seeking my kingdom? And again, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I was perfect after that. But after that moment, I started making my main priority building his kingdom in our youth. And I, I, I'm not kidding you. It wasn't long after that that God brought this beautiful, gorgeous, hot <laughs> woman back into my life. When I seeked his kingdom, he met my needs. It didn't stop there. Because, you know, started off, and again, I'm not trying to go through a lot of rigmarole or make anybody feel sorry for me, but I was working for my uncle, Ricky Rich, and I had the opportunity to come on board for the church full-time, but there was only one difference. It was going to be a huge pay cut. Drastic pay cut. And I can remember sitting down and talking with Jennifer about it. She said, well, we can look at it this way. We can look at it that, you know, with grading, you don't know if it's going to rain tomorrow or rain next week or any of these things. Um, but with this, you taking this ministry job, and I think this was really her way of talking me into it from a financial perspective. She said, um, we'll know and we can better budget and we can better plan. And with her gifts and talents on budgeting and everything else, but also with God's leading, I jumped. And I'm gonna be honest with you. We haven't had everything that we've wanted but we've never won without, have we, baby? When I seeked his kingdom, and she seeked his kingdom, he provided everything we needed. A couple of years down the road, okay, me and Jennifer have been married for 10 years. 10 years. And the only thing that me and Jennifer wanted more than anything, it wasn't a puppy, it wasn't a Mercedes, it wasn't a bigger house. The only thing we wanted was kids. And guys, I'm going to tell you, while I say I don't know what it's like to deal with anxiety, I remember the nights lying in bed, crying my eyes out with my wife, wondering why everybody else had all these kids and, and we couldn't have kids. It got to a point 
that me and Jennifer, we weren't, I wasn't going to stop pastoring. That was never the plan. But it got to the point to where we started saying, okay, we don't need this three-bedroom house if it's just you and me. So let's look at downsizing. We don't need this SUV, so let's look at downsizing. So, I mean, we almost did. We almost put our house on the market. Sorry, Brooke, it's off the market now. Um, we almost put our house on the market. We did sell the SUV. We bought uh, the little Subaru I drive. Um, because we thought that God had shut that door. But during that time, one thing that we never said that we were going to do is stop loving people and stop ministering here at the church. And I never will forget on May 18th, when Eric McClure walked in and told me that his cousin wanted him to adopt his twins, but he just couldn't do it, and I got mad at him. And I said, you gotta give me three good reasons why you can't. And I never will forget, he looked at me and said, I can't give you three, I can give you one. I said, well, what is it? He says, because I think you're supposed to adopt them. Every time that I have put my focus on his kingdom, he's added to mine. And I don't want you to get me wrong on this. There's times where it's been like, there's been times, honestly, to where I've had those questions. God, I've served you faithfully. I've done all these things. Why are these things happening to me? I'm not minimizing that either. But the reality is this. When my focus is on what he wants done, my anxiety, while it may not be eliminated, is brought to peace. Why? Because he fulfills my needs. Kids, Well, some people say, well, they're not a necessity. I'll, I'll argue with that. They are. Even the ones that ain't ours, we still love. We're just thankful we can send them back home to y'all instead of stay with us. And if you want to take ours for a diet, we'll, we'll let you. Some people say ministry is not a necessity. I disagree with that. Because ministry is how we serve others. when we trust in God. He may not bring an end to our anxiety, but he does bring it to peace. And I've got to ask you this this morning. I know most of you trust him for your destination of your salvation. But do you trust him to allow you to be a part of building his kingdom as he adds to yours, because that's where we struggle. That's where we struggle.
Father, every time I've thought that I didn't have, every time I thought that I didn't have an opportunity to trust you, you've always proved me wrong. You've constantly provided for me. You've constantly met all my needs. And Father, you have set my heart towards building your kingdom. And Father, while I know this isn't a cure-all for anxiety, because you even told us that while we're on this earth, we will have troubles. We know that when we seek your kingdom, you bring peace to us. You bring peace to us, Lord, that goes beyond anything we can understand because it does not make sense. It doesn't make sense how we can go from childless to parents. It doesn't make sense, Lord, how I can go from an occupation to a ministry serving you. It doesn't make sense how I can go from single to having one of the most beautiful, loving wives I could ever ask for. And when I think about all these things, I can't help but say, God, I am sorry. I am sorry for every time that I have not trusted you. I am sorry that I have allowed my anxiety to overwhelm me to the point that it controls me. And Father, I know that there are many that are here this morning that are dealing with the same thing. Father, this morning, help us to seek your kingdom. Help us to seek your glory. Help us, God, to renew our faith to renew our trust and to be a part, Lord, of something greater than we could ever be a part of by ourselves. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.